0: Amen. Thank you, Chris. Well, do we have any young ones for the... for our kids' time? Maddie. Besides Maddie. Sorry, Maddie. You can hang out here with us. All right. Turn, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts. And if you don't have a Bible, they're there in underneath the chairs. Um, you can find one there. And as you're turning to that, um, I, I wonder. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, how many of you ever been, have ever been on a very important um, a very important trip? Let's start with that. Anyone anyone here ever been on an important trip? Yes. Okay. We got uh, Kevin. What trip have you been on recently? Uh, I went to a little, little, little place called Kenya. A little place called Kenya. So. I want you to just put yourself in, in Kevin's shoes. He's shared before. He's, most of you have heard um, his story and, and how you know what kinds of things that he did for those couple of weeks there. Um, but what are the kinds of things you think Kevin did to prepare for that trip? Any ideas? Passport. Passport. Okay, he had to get a passport, leave the country. Had to get shots. Did you, did you have a hand up? Any, anyone else? Shots, passport. Um, okay, had to do some research. I had to get an idea of well, what's, what's this trip going to be all about? What's it going to take to go on this trip, right? Uh, place to stay, good. All of the logistics. Where am I going to stay? How am I going to eat? Um, how about what's he going to wear? He had to think about that. He had to pack. And to decide what, what items to bring, what was necessary, right? Um, had, to, had to know those things. Maybe there were some, some very specific, special things that he needed to bring, right? Yep, there were. Um, I, Sergeant Kendrick's here. I'm going to kind of dime out here. I'm not really going to dime me out here. Sergeant Kendrick's here representing um, the National Guard uh, unit that I drill with uh, every month. And uh, he's, he's, had, he's been on many trips, Uh, we go on annual training every year, Um, our soldiers deploy in all kinds of places around the state of Washington, overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. When we go on those kinds of missions, similar to uh, Kevin's mission to Kenya, there are things that you have to do to prepare, things you have to uh, pack, things you have to learn there, is a, there are mission orders, right? There's an actual purpose for us in going. There was a, a purpose for Kevin going to Kenya. There is a purpose for a U.S. Army soldier uh, going overseas or deploying. Could be, a, like I said, in the state. Maybe there's a, the purpose is to help out at a, a terrible, tragic mudslide. Or maybe to help out Uh, containing wildfires, or maybe it's a, a combat mission overseas. There's a purpose, there's a mission, right? And it takes preparation. The Christian life is no different than those kinds of missions. In fact, I'd say, if you really wanted to get an idea of what the Christian life is meant to be, get to know a soldier... And find out what it is they have to do to prepare. What it is that goes through their minds when they get ready to go on a deployment. To go into harm's way to perform a mission and to do their duty. The Christian life is no different than that. It is a mission. It is something we are called to do and it does take preparation and that's what we see in this first scene in the book of Acts. So as we are looking at the book of Acts over the next several weeks, about, uh, about three months or so, we'll be looking at Acts and we'll be studying. We'll be, we'll be basically... Uh, putting on the sandals of the early church, <laughs> and we'll be walking around with them, stepping onto the scene with them to experience what they experienced, to try to see th- these, ex- these, these situations from their perspective and from their eyes, and from what we're supposed to learn. Then we're going to walk back across time to our own lives and figure out, well, then how are we supposed to live? Well, then what does that mean for us who live in 2015? What do we, what, is our mission any different? Is our preparation any different? Are the ways that we go about performing the mission or fulfilling the call, so to speak, are they any different than they were for the first disciples here? We're going to ask some of those questions over the next uh, several weeks. But today, we're going to look at this first scene and see how Jesus prepared his disciples and then how they went on preparing themselves for the mission that God gave them through Jesus. So let me read aloud and please follow along with me in your Bibles or you can follow along on the, the screen as I read aloud. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. This Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as, he saw, as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. Father, as we look more carefully at this word from you this morning, I pray that you will help us to understand what it is you have for us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, speak through me, So that what we hear is not my words, not my ideas, or somebody else's ideas, but your very word speaking to us exactly where we are at. That we can hear what we need to hear and leave here doing what you have called us to do. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me uh, give you the big idea up front. Because Jesus called us to witness... We must be prepared. That's it. That's the the big idea for this message. Because or since Jesus called us to witness in verse 8, which we'll see in more detail in a moment, we must be prepared. We have to be prepared for that mission. We have to be prepared for our purpose as believers. The first way we prepare this, we must know... The message. First thing I want you to see is we must know the message. We got to understand our orders. You can't do anything. We've talked about this. I've shared with this before to you. It, in the military, you can't really do anything unless you've got orders. I mean, you can't even eat food without orders. You can't, you don't have a place to sleep unless you have orders. You can't go anywhere without orders. You have to have your purpose, you have to have your mission. And we have to understand what these orders are, what the mission is, and what the message for the mission is. Notice, notice what um, Luke, who is the writer, uh, if you didn't know, Luke wrote Luke. And then he wrote a second book called that we call Acts. And so this is really part two of the continuing story of Jesus. And Luke writes this in the first book. What I I wrote to you about was, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What Jesus began to do and teach. Because Jesus is not done doing. (laughs) He's not done working. His mission is not over. When he said, It is finished on the cross... He was saying, My work of redeeming mankind is finished. But that wasn't the, the but the actual mission of redeeming the world was not over. That definitive work was finished, but it's our job as the church to continue to do what He did, to continue to say what He said in every generation, in every place, at every time. Jesus began to do and to teach in the first book until he was taken up after he'd given commands um, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And look what he did in preparing them for that. He presented him alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Uh, we looked at that a little bit last week. What was this resurrection thing? What was going on? How can we be sure that it was happened? Were the were the disciples um, somehow deceived? Were they blinded? Were they seeing hallucinations? Were they seeing visions? Well, um, they thought so too. So they checked it out. They we talked about this. They went to the tomb. They wouldn't have gone to the tomb if they just thought, um, maybe everything's good to go. Uh, we, just, it was, we just, I, I ate some, I, I shouldn't have eaten that taco last night. Um, maybe I had some, you know, bad lasagna. I don't know. Had some weird dreams. Okay, let's just shake it off. I'll get better. Take some Pepto. It'll be good. No, they said, something crazy happened. Let's go check it out. The tomb was empty. They said, is this really you, Jesus? And he said, touch my side. See the wound. I still have a wound in my physical body that rose from the dead. Look at my hands. Touch my hands, my wrists. Touch the nail marks. See where I'm at. He said, give me something to eat. Well, this is really strange. We've never eaten with a ghost. People talk about having visions and, they, and seeing um, visions of people that they've lost No. He gave them many proofs during those 40 days. And what did he speak to them about? The kingdom of God. If we're to know the message, I think it would be good for us to know what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Would would you agree with me? That seems reasonable. If we're to know the message in order to witness like Jesus has called us to do, we need to know what Jesus did. We need to know what He said. We need to know what He's talking about when He says the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? That's a good question. We ought to know what that is. We ought to read our Bibles and understand what Jesus was talking about when He said the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God over every area of His creation, over every person. And when we proclaim the kingdom of God to other people, we're saying, God is your God. He, it's not a, a take-your-pick kind of religious experience. Take your pick from this God or that God or this Jesus or that Jesus. There's one Jesus, one God, revealed in Scripture, and He's the one who rules. He is the King. How are you going to tell that to your neighbors? How are you going to tell that to your coworkers? How are you going to tell that to family members? We've got to know the message. We've got to understand the story of God. We've got to understand what came before. We have to understand where Jesus fits into this story that we call the Bible. Do you know the story of God? Could you summarize the message of the Bible? Could you express the good news in such a way that the people you're talking to would understand, wow, that really is good news. Could you answer the question when somebody comes to you and says, why do you have hope? Why do you have joy In the circumstances of your life. It's all about understanding the message. And the message is God's word. By knowing God's word. By knowing the Bible. By saturating ourselves in God's word. We are going to know the message. We are going to be prepared for the witness. For every opportunity to give a reason, to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Jesus instructed his disciples. You don't have to turn here, but you may want to write, you may want to make a note of it. In Luke chapter 24, in, in Luke's first volume of his, of his message about Jesus and all that he did and continued to do through the disciples, he wrote to them about, or he talked to them, excuse me, Jesus talked to them about Moses and the prophets, understanding scripture. He told them that, look, all of these things that have happened to me, these are my words that I spoke to you. I told you this would happen. And everything that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Luke 24, that's verses 44 and following. If Jesus gave that instruction to his disciples, <laughs> and we, have, we don't have a whole lot of his teaching and instruction after his resurrection, but we do have that. I've got I to gotta think that that's pretty important. That I've got to think that if we can get our minds right and understand correctly how Jesus is found in all of Scripture, in Genesis and Exodus, even Leviticus, I'm reading through Leviticus right now. Oh, where's Jesus in Leviticus? Or Numbers? Where is Jesus there? He's there. He's being revealed. All of Scripture reveals Him. I got I to I believe that if that was important for Jesus and His disciples, it's probably important for us. Let's know this Word. Let's know what God has revealed to us so we will be prepared for the purpose that He's given us, that each of us have. Well, going on, Jesus Christ gave them more instruction, uh, told them not to depart from Jerusalem, wait for the promise which he said would be the Holy Spirit that was going to come on you not many days. So when they got together in verse 6, they asked him, So Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I mean, you've told us these things. You've rose from the dead. This is great. Let's do this right now. Let's take care of this. Let's set up your kingdom right here, right now. It'll be awesome. We've heard the message. We understand. You opened our minds to understand, stand the, understand the scripture. Now, now we know about that. We've got the message. We're prepared. And he said, uh, not so fast. That's my paraphrase. Uh, hold it right there, guys. Uh, you, you don't need to worry about that stuff. You don't need to worry about the time. You don't need to worry about the dates of when all of this is going to happen. Incidentally, our our sidebar there is that, boy, when we start start getting into like, um, Jesus is going to come back after so many certain kinds of moons, or that once this happens or that happens, um, once we have this nation set up, and once we have this person in place, and this person in power, oh, and it's going to happen. It's, it, there, we, can, we, can, we can count the times. We can look at the seasons. And, and we know for sure that a lot of people have set dates. A lot of people have looked at times and seasons for when God was going to fulfill His kingdom promises It's happened all throughout history and they've all been wrong. Jesus said, it's not for you to get all worked up about those kinds of things. But here's what you're supposed to do. Verse 8 starts with the word, but. (laughs) In fact, I I call this one of the big buts of the Bible. Um, It's the Greek word, Allah, which is a very significant a very, very significant and important word in the Greek language. It means, know uh, uh, this. <laughs> you, here's what's going to happen. You will receive power. You will receive power. I, I, I want us to know our Bibles. <laughs> I want us to know Scripture. I want us to be, I want us to read every word of our Bibles. And we should, we need to know the message that we have. But, (laughs) knowing is only part of it. We need to be empowered. We need to be empowered to use it rightly, to use it generously and graciously and lovingly. As Paul said to the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. It's great to have the truth and we have... If we don't have the truth, we don't have anything. It's the foundation. We try to love people without the truth. We're loving them on a very, very unstable foundation. A foundation of nothing that will soon crumble away. But if we love them on a foundation of truth on God's word then we have something that will last something that will be permanent something that will be stable anyway power 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 when the Holy Spirit has come upon you that's what we need we need power Um, what is this Holy Spirit power how do we get it do we already have it Maybe we'll just, in a couple of weeks we'll get into what, well, what is this and, and maybe a little more about how this power is manifested in our, in our lives. But let me kind of introduce an imagery for you. Imagine that you are in a boat. Maybe you're on a large lake. It'd have to be pretty large. A very large lake or maybe you're out on the open waters on the sea. There are a couple of ways that you can get around because you don't have an engine. There's no, there's no power. You know, you imagine there's, there's no um, outboard engine. Uh, there's no steam engine. You you're not in like that. Okay, so put yourself back a few centuries. You're in a boat, and you have a couple of ways to get around. You can do it under your own power, straining at the oars, or you can set sail and allow the wind to... Power your boat I've never been sailing I I, I was thinking about that this week man I think it'd be so fun it'd be so awesome to go sailing I've never been sailing but I have strained at the oars a few times I have been in a boat manning the oars not in a big old like uh, Greek slave galley but uh, but either in a a rowboat or something like that and it's a lot of work isn't it (laughs) ever been rowing? It's a lot of work. You can only get so far. Hopefully you're not going very far to begin with. But if you're out in the open sea and all you've got is a rowboat, um, that's going to be a while, right? But if you have a sail that you can set and take advantage of the winds that God sends, then you're going to get to where you're going to get to. You're going to be hopefully ready, refreshed. You're not going to be exhausted. You're going to let the wind work for you. I think sailing is a lot like uh, getting ourselves lined up with the Holy Spirit. Where's God working? What's He doing? Setting our sails of faith. Setting our sails of prayer. And allowing God to lead us. Allowing the Holy Spirit to direct us where to go. Instead of straining against God, against the wind, we set our sails and say, God, if this this is where the Holy Spirit is leading, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. I I think the disciples thought that now that Jesus had risen from the dead, now that Jesus had taught them so many things, that they were ready to just Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's set up this kingdom right now. But Jesus had other plans. He said, no, don't worry about that. What I want you to do is to be my witnesses. That's all I want you to do. I don't want you to have strategy meetings. I don't want you to create a master plan. I don't want you to do surveys. I want you to be my witnesses. And I want you to do that under the power of the Holy Spirit. What's it going to take for us to be like that? What's it going to take for us to receive... That power to arrange our lives in such a way so that it's the Holy Spirit leading and directing us. What, what is it going to take for us to live by the Spirit? As, as, can, can we really say, can we really look at our own lives, look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you're living by the Holy Spirit? Could you say that to yourself? Is the Spirit controlling your life? Is the spirit leading? Jesus actually didn't leave them to just kind of figure this out and go, well, let's try to manufacture the spirit. What he did next was probably surprising to them. I don't think they were anticipating this. It says that after he said these things, while they were looking at him and looking on and, hanging out, chilling out on, Mount, on the Mount of Olives. He was lifted up into heaven and a cloud covered him and they, then they didn't see him again. What's going on here, Jesus? Why are you leaving us? We were ready to do this thing. Now you're gone. What are we going to do? Later they remembered his words, that he said that are recorded in the Gospel of John. Unless I go, then the Comforter, the Spirit, the Encourager, the one who's going to teach you and lead you and guide you and, and empower you, he can't come. Unless I go, he can't come. I, Jesus in his physical body, wouldn't it it be so great if he was right here right now and we could just see him and talk to him and be in his presence and follow him around like the disciples did? Wouldn't that be awesome? But the fact is, if he was doing that to us, how would he be doing that to the church in China? How would he be doing that to the church in Kenya? How would he be doing that to the church in Alabama? Or in the Middle East? Or in... East Asia, or in Europe. No, he left so he could send the Holy Spirit to be with us wherever we went. Which is why he, what he said, And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age, or the ends of the world. I am going to be with you wherever you go. He had to go in order to send the Holy Spirit. And then we have confidence based on what the angels, these men in white robes, angelic beings are saying. Why are you looking up into the, into the skies? Just like, just like they asked to the, the women. Why are, you, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're looking in the wrong place. Don't look, don't look in tombs for Jesus. And don't look up at the sky and just kind of gaze up there. Get busy. Get busy obeying. Get busy preparing to witness. Get busy preparing for the purpose that you've been called for. And that's what they did. They returned to Jerusalem. The disciples were there, 11 of them. We'll see what happened to the 12th in a moment. And what does it say in verse 14? Or we'll see, excuse me, next week we'll see what happened to the 12th. Verse 14 though. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That is one of the most significant verses of all of Acts. And it's most significant for us as we prepare. We must know the message. We must receive power from the Holy Spirit. But we must also be devoted to prayer, which is the very means of setting our sails and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer. Prayer. Simply, in simplest terms, it's communicating with God. Communicating with God. I thought about this this week, about all of the ways that we communicate. Um... My girls love to text, especially my oldest. Um, I, it's hard to believe how many texts she sends every month. I get the records from the phone company and I'm like, whoa, really? How's that possible? We can communicate with God. It, it, in fact, it's, 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 as, it's as simple as texting to talk to God or picking up the phone and talking to God, I mean, we have that kind of access to Him, but I think a lot of times our prayer, our, our prayer ends up being insignificant little LOLs <laughs> You know we, we, we may think, well God's always there, I can always text him, I can always call him. you know he 's there, he 's with me it's all good. We don't realize that prayer is not, is not so much access to God via text or email or phone, but it's coming into the presence of the king of the universe. There are times, I think, when we are right to just commune with God and speak to him. He's our friend through Jesus. We have that kind of access to him. But sometimes, folks, we need to get a little more serious about our prayers. And realize that prayers are more like a teleporter that is transporting us directly into God's throne room. That's what prayer is. We're speaking to the king of the universe. And when, when it says that they were devoting themselves to prayer, the, the Greek is actually the prayer. There's that, there's that definite article That this was a significant experience for them. This wasn't just, hey, we're just kind of hanging out and we kind of talk to God when we feel like it. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. What would that mean for us? To be devoted to the prayer the experience of of placing ourselves in the presence of God getting our minds right getting our hearts right getting our bodies right even because we are in the presence of the king of the universe how often do you pray personally like that i got to be honest with you i don't pray like that very often I don't. My wife, as you probably know, and if you don't, I'll tell you right now, she's a prayer warrior. She cares about prayer. She's the one reminding me, we ought to pray about that. And, and, I, and she rubs off on me sometimes, and I, and I say that kind of stuff too. <laughs> and sometimes I don't, and I need to, to have my prayer warrior wife remind me, we ought to be on our knees. We ought to to be on our knees about that. We ought to be praying. We ought to be with one accord devoting ourselves to prayer. It needs to be a bigger part of our lives. When these women and men and disciples were with one accord, it means they were doing it together. They were of Another translation says, they were of one mind. They thought the same way about this. They had the same passion for it. They had the same heart for it. And they didn't let prayer become something that reserved for our own personal religious experience. Prayer was part of the community. It was part of what made them the church. If you're wondering why we have an open time of prayer during our worship gathering where we say if you want to pray out loud please pray out loud. Because the very least we could do is when we gather on Sunday mornings to have, is to have that time of prayer where everyone has a chance to voice their prayers to God and where we can pray as a community. That's the very least we could do. How can we be best prepared? Best prepared to be a witness. The title of our series through Acts is Witness. It's not necessarily how to be a witness, but it's we are witnesses. (laughs) We are witnesses. We're either going to be good witnesses or we're going to be bad witnesses. We are either going to be prepared to witness or not. We must prepare by knowing the message. We must prepare by receiving power and through a relationship with Christ and through setting our sails of of faith. But primarily through prayer. We must be devoted to prayer, people. We have to be devoted to prayer. I was thinking about how prayer has been used um, not just in our own lives. I'm, I'm sure you can share moments and times when you've prayed and God's answered those prayers. And, um, but how prayer has been used throughout the years, throughout the history of the Christian church. Um, and I remembered a story that John Piper wrote about, in his book, Desiring God, a book I would highly recommend, he tells a story from history of how prayer was used. One example of this. The history, he says, testifies to the power of prayer as the prelude spiritual awakening and missions advance. And what's he, he's, what's he, what is he saying is, or what he's saying is, prayer is what you do to prepare for the mission, to prepare for witness. He said one example from New York City history, approaching the middle of the 19th century, the glow of earlier religious awakenings had faded. There were awakenings in the 18th century, And the early 19th century, but by the mid-19th century, things were going back to status quo, going back to the norms. The city in New York, like most of America, was prosperous and felt little need to call to God. Hmm, does that sound like any city you know of? Then came the late 1850s, and then he quotes here from a record record. Secular and religious conditions combined to bring about a crash. The third great panic in American history swept away the giddy structure of speculative wealth. Thousands of merchants were forced to the wall as banks failed and railroads went into bankruptcy. Factories were shut down in vast numbers, thrown out of employment. New York City alone having 30,000 idle men. At the time, that was a pretty big number. In October 1857, the hearts of the people were thoroughly weaned from speculation and uncertain gain, while hunger and despair stared them in the face. On the 1st of July 1857, a quiet and zealous businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear took up an appointment as a city missionary in downtown New York. Landfear was appointed by the North Church of the Dutch Reformed de- denomination. This church was suffering from depletion of membership due to the removal of the population from the downtown to the better residential headquarters. And the new city missionary was engaged to make diligent visitation in the immediate neighborhood with a view to enlisting church attendance among the floating population of the lower city. The Dutch consistory felt that it had appointed an ideal layman for the task in hand. And so it was. Burdened so by the need, Jeremiah Lanfear decided to invite others to join him in a noonday prayer meeting to be held on Wednesdays once a week. He therefore distributed a handbill, just a little flyer, put this little flyer out, and it said this, the title, the heading of the handbill was, How often shall we pray? As often as the language of prayer is in my heart, as often as I see my need of prayer or of help, as often as I feel the power of temptation, as often as I am made sensible of any spiritual declension, uh, declension, uh, lowering of his spiritual fervor and excitement, or I feel the aggression of a worldly spirit. In prayer we leave the business of time for that of eternity, and intercourse with men for intercourse with God. A day prayer meeting is held every Wednesday from 12 to 1 o'clock in the consistory building in the rear of, of the North Dutch Church, corner of Fulton and William Streets, entrance from Fulton and Ann Streets. The meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, and businessmen generally an opportunity to stop and call upon God and the perplexities incident to their respective Avocations. It will continue for one hour, but it is also designed for those who may find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare the whole hour. In other words, come for five or ten minutes, or, or come for the whole hour. Accordingly, at 12 noon, 23rd September, 1857, the door opened, and the faithful Lanfear took his seat to await the response to his invitation. Five minutes went by, no one appeared. The missionary paced the room in a conflict of fear and faith. Ten minutes elapsed. Still no one came. Fifteen minutes passed. Landfear was yet alone. Twenty minutes, twenty-five, thirty. And then at twelve-thirty, a step was heard on the stairs, and the first person appeared. Then another, and another, and another, until six people were present, and the prayer meeting began. On the following Wednesday, there were forty intercessors. Thus, in the first week of October 1857, it was decided to hold a meeting daily instead of weekly. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen were gathering daily for prayer in New York. And within two years, a million converts were added to the American churches. Undoubtedly, the greatest revival in New York's colorful history was sweeping the city. And it was of such an order to make the whole nation curious. There was no fanaticism, no hysteria, simply an incredible movement of the people to pray. That's what the disciples were doing. They were preparing to witness by prayer. They were devoted. They were with one accord in prayer. We'll see in the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure you know from history what happened to them. Why not us? And why not here? Why, why can, could we not embrace prayer as a community like they are doing? Embrace prayer in our families Embrace prayer in our missional communities. Embrace prayer as a as a as a whole church, as a large group, and be dedicated to it like that, just to see what God might do in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our city, in this little community of Moxie, and maybe all over Yakima and all over Central Washington and all over the Northwest and all over the world. Why not? Why not us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I ask you, God, to to do a work in us. I am... Um, I wish, I wish I was more like the disciples, in in that they did amazing things and they saw amazing things. And God, I want to, I want to experience that too. But on the other hand, uh, God, these these men and women. Uh, your your family your 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 people that you called to yourself uh, it seems pretty simple <laughs> uh, they understood the message uh, they they knew it they learned it uh, they waited and they were devoted to prayer and then god you did the rest you did the rest God, we're, we're, we're much worse off than these men and women who actually sat at your feet, actually heard you speak. They actually witnessed the events of your life and your death and your resurrection. But they were just as dependent on your Holy Spirit through prayer, as we are today. And yet, You said that we would, be, uh, we would do greater things, that we would experience even greater things, because You departed, and You sent Your Holy Spirit, and You promised that You would be with us, wherever we are. That God, wherever You have us, to live, to work, to play, that's where you want us to be a witness. That's where you want us to be a missionary. And God, we will not be ready for it. We will only be ready for our own desires, our own ambitions, our own our own passions, if we are not in prayer. Lord, make us of one mind. Make us of one accord devoted in prayer in every, in every opportunity that we have to take advantage of in order to, to experience the power that you want to give us. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.